My name is Matt Jay, and welcome to the Sober Friends Podcast. This is episode 100. I'm Matt. Hey, I'm Steve. Hey, I'm John. This is the Sober Friends Podcast. We're here for the sober curious, the new guy, and the old timer. Here to talk about the stuff anyone looking to live alcohol-free has to face day to day, and how we overcame those struggles. We speak for no 12-step group, but we do try to remain anonymous. You're not alone. This is the Sober Friends Podcast. Such a feeling that you should do something special for episode number 100. If you're a podcaster, the idea that you get to 100 episodes is rare air, regardless of how many listeners that you have. I read a statistic somewhere that said that most podcasters quit at episode 12 if you get there. If you even get to episode 12, that's a success. If you get to episode 100, regardless of your listeners, you are in rare air. And Steve, John, and I are so appreciative that you bring us into your ears every single week. Now, with that said, my buddy Jill, who does the Sober Powered Podcast, asked me, oh, 100 episodes, what are you doing special? And I thought about it, and I procrastinated And I don't have a special episode in a way you would think it. So I figured we would do something different. So it's just me today, like it was in the very beginning in episode one, when we started doing this thing. And I hinted this a couple episodes ago that I had this college story or I went to this college reunion and I could tell that. And I went back and forth about talking about my college reunion because I thought it would be self-indulgent. But I realized as I was going through the story that this is really part of my sober story. This story of something that happened last month is part of the story of me being sober and part of it, me being drunk. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about my 25th reunion that was in October. And it's something I never would have gone to if I was still drinking. I just would have been anxious And I would have also said at the same time, well, I'm too good for that. I'm beyond it. And I'm, boy, am I glad that I didn't do that. And this really focuses on a group of friends that I made sophomore year. I started to realize that, you know, our our tight friendship was this really short period of time. It felt like we had been a group of friends together, but it really wasn't that long. And yet it's funny that we had this short burst where we were inseparable And then, I hate to say decades, but decades apart, and then you get together with these people, and it's like all of that time evaporates. And I hope that you have people in your life like that, that you would feel that way. So I don't typically go back to my college because it's two, two and a half, three hours from where I am. It's about an hour and 57 minutes from where I live, if traffic is fine. But I live in central Connecticut, and my college is in New Rochelle, New York. It's just outside of New York City, which means you got to drive the Merritt or you got to drive 95 in Fairfield County. If you have experience with these roads, they are the most backed up in the nation. And that includes on the weekend. This was on a Saturday evening, and we got a later jump than I would have liked to. And, of course, we ran into every little bit of traffic. One of the reasons I decided to go to this is the... Postcard in the mail came saying it was reunion time. And who's on the postcard? Me. They have a picture of me 
when I was in my fraternity in college and I figure, well, if I'm on the postcard, I guess I have to show up. That would be false advertising. I reached out to a bunch of people I'm still in contact with and I asked, they go, you going to this thing? I would hate to go alone, but I really would like to go. And I surprised myself in terms of me wanting to be with these people. And so we all decided we were going to go to this thing and we're going to get together on a Saturday night on our campus and just kind of be together for the first time in many, many years. So I went to college between 1993 and 1997. I own a college, New Rochelle, New York, right outside of New York City. And I picked the college because it was close to New York City. I wanted to be a broadcaster. Where else could you be a broadcaster than the number one market in the country? So that's why I picked it. And I wanted to get the hell away from my home. There were things going on in my home that were not great. And I could be as far away from Springfield, Massachusetts, where I used to live, as possible and start my own way. And being out on my own, I didn't have a lot of confidence I was a follower because I just wanted to be accepted. But if you knew who I was, you would not be my friend. You wouldn't want to be near me if you knew me. So I wanted to be in with the group. But if I was in with the group, then the group must be the wrong group because you've allowed me into the group. That's how I looked at myself. I I was the great imposter in any group that I was in. And alcohol was plentiful. So in these days... All you needed was a college ID to get into any of the bars on North Avenue in New Rochelle. I think almost all of these bars are closed, except for one. That was that was our hangout place, and that was sort of like the adult the adult bar. I'll tell you a little bit about that in a second. But we could get into Gary's and Glory Days and O'Brien's with our college ID, which is absolutely insane today to think I didn't need any type of even fake ID. There was no date of birth on my Iona College ID. It just was my picture and it said Iona. And if you went to Iona, that was enough to get into a bar, regardless of the fact that I was 17 at the time when I went to college. Also, way too young to go. I should have waited a year to go to kindergarten, but my mom said, Matthew, you're just so smart. You're just such a smart boy. You need to go to school. I needed another year to to mature. And I didn't realize that until I became an adult. So I'm armed with a handful of cash, never had a fake idea in my life, and I could buy drinks and I could feel better about myself. And I got this group of friends. And I think that it took about a year, but the group of friends that I hung out with took until about sophomore year to really get to that. That's the group of people I'm, I'm hanging out with. And the, the people who were around were Ed Sloan, Kathy, Joe, Vinny, Mike, Dale, I'm trying to think of some other people who were part of this group. I'm thinking about the people who were there and I ended up meeting these two women, Sloan and Kathy, because I hooked up with their sweet mate. There was like, I wasn't even part of that group. I just happened to hook up with this sweet mate who was this woman who was absolutely terrible in every way for me. But because I had so low self-esteem, you know, any female who was available and waiting was good for me. 
and that petered out real quick. And I'm pretty glad that it did because this was not a good person for me. And she ended up out of the college months afterwards. But because I was in the suite on one side, I ended up hanging out with the people who are on the other side. And these were excellent people who were over there. Uh, I, we were talking about Dale, who was the other, who was the sweet mate of the woman who I hooked up with, who was one of these women who just was super extroverted, super crazy, but the hardest worker. And I remember Dale went to, Dale worked after school. She lived in the dorms, but she worked after school. And to us, that was awfully weird and antisocial. Like it was a big deal when Dale would go out with us to the bars because it was so rare and we just couldn't understand how we couldn't get her out. Well, you know, as an adult now, how selfish we were that was like, oh, you can't come out. You're like no good and stuff. She was making money and she was working hard, something I wasn't doing at the time. I mean, I almost failed out of school at this point until I turned it around. But I remember that. I remember funny stories like Dale, Dale had big boobs. And what I learned from Dale is what the, what happens when you have a, uh, a breast reduction? Like she pulled me aside, gave me a pamphlet and say, look at this. Can you believe that they, they ripped the nipple off and put it back on? And she had the diagram and everything. I was mortified. That's the type of person she was to kind of shock you in that. Uh, my friend Sloan was like the conscience of the room. And when she got pissed off at you, you probably did something wrong. And I didn't like to be called out on my bullshit back then because I was constantly needling people. I constantly was somebody who had to pick a fight, make somebody laugh and cut you down with a remark. And I am sure going through that, I cut a lot of people. More to that when I get to the reunion, when I looked around and said, uh-oh, I'm worried about something that might happen here. And my friend Kathy, who was from like a typical Italian family, very sweet, very nice. And, you know, I, I didn't notice those things of what their good qualities were. And, and our friend Ed, who was part of this, who, if you ever compare my behaviors to my buddy Ed, it's the greatest compliment you could ever give to me because this is a guy, he's one of those guys that you never say a bad word about. I wish that was the way about me. Plenty of people over my life had had a bad word to say about me. And for the most part, they were right to do so. I like to think that my life is a lot better nowadays where you don't feel that way. But Ed's one of those guys that nobody had a bad word to say about him because he was the kindest and most generous person I met. And also in that time, I pledged a fraternity. So I had this split screen in my life that I had these non-fraternity people and then I joined this fraternity because I had to belong to something. I had to be the cool person. I had to find a girl. I, I had to be cool. I had to have these things that I was reaching for that I never could have. And I joined this as a follower with another group of friends because they were going in. And they all dropped out of the fraternity except for me because I didn't know I had that option of going through a pledging period and dropping out. So I got in. And looking back, there's a bunch of people who I'm close with. But I feel like there's a lot of other people who I just never connected with, nor were some of those people good people. There's this one guy in the fraternity who liked to pick fights with all other people, had the worst glass jaw, and yet 
wanted you to fight with him. Well, I wasn't going to fight for him because I knew he had a glass jaw and a big mouth. And I knew enough not to mouth off to people with bigger muscles than me. So we get to the reunion. We're a half hour late. And somebody actually cared enough to message me saying, uh, are you actually coming here? So I showed up, I look around and there's all these people and you see the flicker in their faces of what they used to look like, but 25 years later. And some people looked exactly the same. Other people had a lot less hair than they had. I got to tell you, one of the things I'm most proud about, I got most of my hair. That's one thing I got. I mean, it's not something that makes you a great person, but I got most of my hair and I didn't think that was going to happen when I was in college. So good for me. And it was great to see people. And even after like 25 years, you see some of these people and they haven't changed. And I say that not in a way of like they haven't had families and stuff, but I talked to some of these people and like the personality traits, the dominant traits of the leader, the dominant person, somebody more submissive, the listener, those things haven't changed. And you can pick up on that. And I looked around at like, I, I saw Dale who in my mind didn't look a goddamn thing different than in college and was still like the same extroverted, inappropriate way, which always makes me laugh. And I had to pull her aside. I'm like the, I didn't say the alcoholic in me, but it's like the alcoholic in me is looking around this room of people I knew. And I'm like, did I say something to somebody at one time where a slap in the face is going to happen here? And that was a legit concern of mine that somebody's going to say, yeah, you were a real dick that one time back in like 1996 when we were at O'Brien's and you had too much to drink because I had enough cutting words for people that would have been appropriate to me. And I was ready to take a slap on the face if it was coming my way, because I probably, anybody's going to slap me in the face or punch me. I probably deserved it at that time. And she looked at me, she's like, what the hell are you talking about? She goes, I, I don't think you're going to be in that position. So it made me feel better. And it was nice to share the college with my wife, because my wife didn't go to school with me. I met her afterwards, and she got to see around. Now, if you went to college in the 90s, I'm sure you have this as the case, is there was a lot of building and a lot of donation in the good times. That in many ways, this campus doesn't, rec it's not recognizable from the way I went there. I, I often say that the place was kind of grimy, and now it's the type of place that would never accept me. And the place was beautiful. I mean, I've worked in offices that were modern offices that don't look as nice and beautiful as this place went. I mean, I got, I got screwed. If my kids ever go there, they're going to have a totally different experience than I did. Uh, we had a diner. We were lucky to have had a CVS. And now they have like a wine bar there and they have a Starbucks. I mean, it, it is in the meal cards. The meal cards there, you can go to restaurants and they take the meal card. We had the crappy cafeteria I mean, you just had to suck down food. It was, it was awful. And sometimes that awfulness was the things that bring people together. And I thought with this group of people, I was running away from them because I was accepted in this group and they were real people. And I wanted to be with who I thought the cool people were, who really weren't the right people for me. And I drank a lot because of it, because to fit in, I had to suck down the booze. Now, don't get me wrong. I was looking for booze any which way. 
but I was chasing that. And, and when we were meeting at the college reunion, they were saying things like, I never understood how you were in a fraternity. It just doesn't seem like you. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. It doesn't seem like me. Proud story. A friend of mine, Stephanie, was this goth girl when we were in the dorms and she didn't say boo to anybody. And it wasn't just you don't talk to her because she doesn't say boo. It was you look at her face and it's like, get the F away from me. It was like that, that there was a walnut shell there that wasn't real. Uh, my buddy Stephanie, who was the goth girl, is in a C-level position reporting to a CEO at this point in a big company. I would have never seen that at the time from her, even though she was smart and got her work done. And the alcoholic, active alcoholic in me wouldn't have thought this, but the person sober for me was so happy that she had achieved so much and was at that level. I'm like, damn, I knew that person who has a C in the title of her name. That's pretty incredible. And I felt really great about the fact that I felt good for somebody else than me. So my friends there, they have kids. I had kids. We took about a million pictures. I don't think I took any of the pictures because I just... I was so overwhelmed in the moment of being back on my campus with my wife, walking there and stepping out of time, 25 years, being back in the, like, you could almost see like the rip in time there that if you could just pull the, the thread just enough, you'd go through that warp hole and it actually would be 1995 again. But that's not possible because those times are over. But you can see the echoes of the past. And looking around the campus, I could see the echoes. If you squint and you can get those new buildings that are beautiful out of the way and you see the real crappy ones that are still there, you see those echoes. And I thought it was the campus at the time. And the drunk in me didn't realize it really was the people. It wasn't what you're chasing after. It's what you have now, what you have already. And back in the 90s, I didn't know what I had already. And I realized at this 25th reunion, I had a lot. I had these really amazing people who liked me for me, who allowed me to be around them. And in many ways, I ran away from that. Most of these people live closer to me than I would from that campus. So I have to get together with these people and drive an hour longer than they actually live. They live 40 minutes away from me. There's no reason I can't see them on a regular basis but I don't do that. And I think a lot of that in me is I'm afraid even now to get close to people. How am I going to drive 45 minutes away to see these people who live in the same damn state that I live in? And they're only going to want to see me in the context of college. That's just how I feel sometimes. I still have that. People don't want to be around me. So there was a like wine reception which thank God I got sober and I had all the tools because I could be around. Other people were drinking. There was beer. There was open bar wine. And I was fine with my diet Pepsi. I was fine with a diet beverage. And I felt really good about it. I'm like, wow, I can be on this campus when I was drunk as a skunk 24-7. And now I can be sober and enjoy being here and really see 
what this experience should have been if I allowed it to be. And in the moment, I could have that again in the way I wanted to. So we, we were going to go to the Beachmont. Beachmont was a, and still is, a bar slash restaurant that we used to hang out at in college. So you got to really hang out there sophomore, maybe more junior and senior year, because it was the one bar that actually had glasses for beer. All the other places, like you're lucky if you get like a plastic cup. Everything was plastic. The taps weren't cleaned. The benefit of the Beachmont was they had food, they had the best wings in town, and they had beer in taps that were clean in a glass. That may seem awfully silly now, but the fact that you could get beer in a glass made you feel like a goddamn adult. And so therefore it was the best place in the world. But we decided to take a little walk through the campus and look around. We went, went back to our dorm, which has now been overgrown by nicer dorms in front of it and look around and tried to look for the cigarette butts that we used to lay on the floor that I used to put on the ground. We went up to Sloan and Kathy's old apartment and like some child stuck her hand out the window. It was like, I thought they were ready to call the cops on us. And the apartment didn't look as nice as it did back in the mid nineties where we thought it was like the most elegant house in the planet. Looks kind of crappy now. Probably was pretty crappy. The pizza place that we used to go to, that's gone because the, the college has come in and bulldozed the whole neighborhood, which is its own controversy in and of itself. They had like little scooters that you could get on to get around campus. My God, we had to hoof it everywhere or take a cab somewhere to go anywhere. We, I didn't have a car when I went to college. And I think, I think Sloan or Kathy had a car. So therefore it's like I could bum a ride and we could get to like the gap or a mall or something. And that was like a really big deal. And so we ended up going over to the Beachmont and that was like the one place that hadn't changed. Everything looked the same. I mean, they swapped out tables. There were some different things on the wall, but you look around and it's like, no, they just put the new stuff over the old stuff. This place is the same. And this group of people, they weren't alcoholics. So they weren't like guzzling booze. People who got drinks got like a glass of wine. They got a beer or two. And I felt comfortable being there not and realizing I didn't like the Beachmont because it was the place that I could get a glass of beer in a glass. I like the Beachmont because this is where my friends went. And we could be kind of free a little bit from the dorm and, and we could be ourselves and we could have fun together. The booze was irrelevant for a non-alcoholic having a glass of wine or a beer lubricates things a little bit more for the alcoholic. It becomes the whole fixture that you think beyond that your friends going to the bar with you are not people going with you to a good time. Your friends are really just an excuse so that you can drink and not be alone. And now that has changed going with them. We got the wings. I was very concerned about getting the wings because in my mind, remembering it, the wings were like the greatest wings I ever had. And when you go back to the past, it's like, it's not as good as you really thought it was. But I decided to have the wings. The wings are still awesome. Thank God the Beachmont's wings are great and that I could still have that memory I was so nervous and anxious. I think I had three wings. I don't think I ate the whole night because my stomach was doing flips. 
And if I was somebody who was still active in my addiction, I would have to be cranky or negative or having a cutting joke so that I could feel like I could fit in and be special. But I don't feel like I have to do that anymore. And if there's a quiet moment where I don't really have anything to say, I'm okay not having anything to say where I could ask the people around, like, tell me what you're doing. You have kids. How old are they? What are they doing? I think I spent more time talking about their kids and my kids than I did anything else. Like I would, I was that parent who pulled up my phone. I was like, I felt like Michael Scott on that last episode of the office where he had to buy an extra phone so that he could put pictures of his kids on it. Like, I think I showed everybody ad nauseum pictures of my kid, my kids, stories about my middle one, the challenges that they're having, the fact that they're super successful in ways I never was. And that's the stuff I didn't want to talk about me. Well, I'm talking about me because I'm talking about my kids, but I wanted to tell people about, Hey, this is what I'm really proud of now. And I shared, I shared, I stopped drinking. And for the most part, I think people were, it's a shrug of the shoulders. This is where I always find it funny that people will say it's a big deal to say I'm, I'm an alcoholic or I don't drink because people are going to ask questions and it's going to be this whole thing. I find every single time I have to bring it up because they're not even listening to it. But people were very respectful of it and they're doing their own thing. And it really was not that big of a deal. I'll tell you what I was really proud of is having my wife involved in this visit to the campus, being able to go and show my wife, this is where I lived. This is the bar I used to hang out with all the time. And like, wow, like I almost like, like ripped that time space open and you and I are here in the 1990s, but we're here together and you're seeing these people who were so incredibly close to me. And I didn't realize it. And I missed that. But I've lived long enough where I can appreciate that and have a second chance at it. And I got tired and we drove home. And I thought about this college trip that I made for weeks and weeks. It was, it was a really big deal for me. And I think it was that it was a success. I could go back. I had a second chance for a night. I could go back to that place where I had so many failures, plenty of successes, but so many failures that I could go back and like, I got this right. I got sober. I didn't need the alcohol when I was in college and I didn't realize it at the time. There was a church like a block over from where I lived that had an AA meeting, an active AA meeting while I was there. I could have walked, I don't know, 20 steps. 50 steps and gone to this church and I could have gone to a meeting. I could have gotten sober at the age of 19, 20, 21. And I probably would have been able to figure out how to navigate that campus sober and be happy. Now it wasn't my time. There are people who get sober at 20. If you're somebody who got sober in like their teens or their twenties, God bless you. I wish I could have. My time was at 38. I wasn't ready before 38, but thank God I was able to get ready. And uh, we drove home. We left there. I was exhausted. I think it took me days to get past that because it's, it's a long drive. 
but it was exhilarating to drive through and point. There's the video store I used to work to that. And there's, there's this, there's that. And it really felt like I was putting an epilogue in a chapter of my life in a happy way. Not that this is like the end. There's no reason I don't have to see these people another decade or 20 years. If that's the case, look, it's my fault. I, I can figure this out. And if we're not finding a way together, I can throw it out there and plan something. There's nothing that says that I can't do that. But it really was an experience of, I realized what I missed because I was so consumed with alcohol and so consumed with the things out of my reach that weren't for me, that right in front of me, I had people who were my college family and I didn't even realize it. And seeing that those people hadn't really changed at all in terms of their core personality, and they were still great people. They were still really great people that you would be lucky to be surrounded by friends. And I could realize that in the moment. I looked at it as a, as a tremendous victory. I hope this story has helped you. If you go back to episode one, I tell my story at the time. I could craft tons of episodes about my story because there's so much that I haven't touched the surface on. I'm glad that you've joined us somewhere between episode one and episode 99. We started doing this podcast because I wanted to help people, especially during the pandemic where it might be tough to get to a meeting. And maybe the only recovery you would find is on an iPhone or an Android phone or your computer, however you're listening to this, and you could find the message some way and then make that connection somehow to that next step. My journey is in the 12 steps. It's okay if that's not yours. It works for me, and if it doesn't work for you, that's okay. I'm about, if you find a way to be sober and you're happy, that's really all that should count. And I'm grateful that between episodes one and 99, you got something from this. And if there's one of you who got sober or stayed sober or found a way to feel a little bit better or our stupid antics entertained you even for five minutes, then the time that it took to do this has been worth it. If I look at my college friends of 2022 now, the people I've met like Mark S and Jill from Sober Powered and Arlena from the One Day at a Time podcast, Howard L from A Recovered Interviews. These are podcasts that, or podcasters that I got to know and be on their podcast. There's a lot of others that I'm, I'm forgetting right now. Mark S from the Recovered cast. Boy, I kissed his ass on episode one saying, if you, if you enjoy this one, please go listen to Recovered. And in this time, I got the opportunity to go on every couple of months and help him with that podcast. What a dream. That's like the greatest thing ever. And Steve and John, this podcast probably would have petered out a lot more if I did not get their help. And they were helpful enough to come on every single week and help me with this and help make this better podcast than it started out with. Those of you who podcast and the podcast hasn't changed, I don't know how the hell you did that. Because if I look back at, at that first episode, I think things have changed a whole lot. 
I hope you've enjoyed the first 100 podcasts. God willing, we'll be going through episode 200, 500, 1000. Thanks for listening to my story. We'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. You made it this far into the podcast. That tells me you're a pretty big fan. If you like what we do and you find value in the podcast, consider a donation at buymeacoffee.com backslash soberfriendspod. Your donation keeps us on the air to help out the new guy and helps us defray some of our costs. If you find value in our podcast, please consider a donation at buymeacoffee.com slash soberfriendspod.